0: Hello ladies and germs and welcome back to the show. Today I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with yet another member of the RP team, Dr. Trevor Fatner. Trevor has a doctorate of osteopathic medicine, he is also a powerlifter. So today we're going to talk a little bit about hormones and hunger. We're going to talk about some of the hormones that are affected when dieting. We're going to talk about how to mitigate some of the... Effects of dieting, the negative effects that you're going to go through, some effects and adaptations are necessary because we are taking the body out of this homeostatic balance. But we, we're we going to chat a little bit about how to make sure that your body's staying healthy during that. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the health markers and the blood work that you can monitor, especially if you do get your bloods done. We're also going to talk a little bit about some of the habits that you can implementing your own life and they're very the basic ones which I found really interesting. Oftentimes we look for the magic pill or the magic potion, but oftentimes it's just nailing the basics, so we're going to go through that as well. Without further ado, please enjoy this podcast with Dr. Trevor Fatner. You're listening to the Abby Khan Show, a podcast that inspires people to achieve what they once believed was impossible. My name's Abby Khan. I'm an actor, health and fitness coach, and it is my mission to connect with interesting people, share their stories, find out how they optimize their lives for success, and how you can do the same. Dr. Trevor Fatner, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. I'm just so glad I pronounced your surname correctly.
1: It took me about eight years to figure it out myself, so you're doing pretty good. <laughs> just
0: for the couple of people that may not know who you are, can you just give us a quick background and, and highlight really your story so far?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I, you know, Dr. Trevor Fetner, i um, originally from Michigan in the United States and um, got my undergrad degree in movement science at the University of Michigan. And then from there, I pursued medical school, went to... Um, School called Nova Southeastern down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, basically, you know, you hear people talk about, you know, walking up. Yeah, sorry, man. We pause for a second. Phone was <laughs> phone was yeah, that's absolutely we. I meant to unmute it. <laughs> Apologize. Get edited and post right.
0: <laughs> I leave it raw. Me, I think it's quite funny. Oh, is it? Right? So, Yeah, so I'm just gonna <laughs> leave it.
1: <laughs> even better.
0: Even better. Yeah, it just
1: goes to show how important I am, right? trying to call me. <laughs> No, anyways, um yes, yeah, so I went to, to school in in Lauderdale because I was literally walking uphill in the snow every day to go to school, and I was like, this is just this is not for me right so um got down to Florida, and it took about i don't know three, four weeks for me to realize that I was too fat to live down there, so I was already setting my sights on getting back to the Midwest because that was just kind of where I felt more comfortable but um good thing is, I met my wife down there, met some great friends, and she was willing to leave Miami so it kind of worked out. And then we landed in Chicago, um, did my residency in family medicine in a little hospital called um, St. James and Olympia Fields, and now I work as a primary care physician for the local 130 Plumbers Union uh, at a wellness center, basically. So just regular primary care, um, you know, taking care of families and stuff like that, but it just close to that population because it's just part of their benefits and stuff. Um, and then part of you know, probably more why I'm relevant to the podcast. Um, for the last, it's coming up on almost five years now, I've been working with Renaissance Periodization, you know, the the famous or infamous Dr. Mike Gisritel and Nick Shaw. Um, so I met them in college at the University of Michigan, and they got me involved in powerlifting, essentially, where I devoted a good chunk of my life um, to pursuing strength and fitness and things like that. Uh, I had been involved in sports in high school, you know, American football, wrestling, track, stuff like that, and always liked to lift weights. And then when I got to college, I wasn't involved in a team anymore. So, you know, I was kind of looking for something like that. And thankfully, I met, you know, Dr. Mike and and Nick and, you know, just kind of took off from there and became a big part of my life. So um, flash forward a couple of years, they founded Renaissance Periodization. Um, I said, hey, you know, this looks like the next big thing. I want to be involved. So they said, sure, you know, we'll we'll keep you in mind and then I wound up becoming a coach and, you know, helped co-author a book and working on some other stuff for them. And yeah, it's been kinda of doing that ever since, man.
0: And why did you get into medical school? Like what was the reason that you went for, for that particular path?
1: I wanted to make money, to be honest with you. Right. Phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, to be, yeah, to be completely honest, like I was in middle school and we did a career fair and I saw, you know, doctors do okay and I was like, Yeah, I could do that. Why not and thankfully, you know I found out that I actually really enjoy the work and it's something I'm passionate about you know I like helping people and you know all that kind of thing it's very rewarding when you know you, you take somebody who's not as healthy and you help them to get healthy or you know you get to know these families and stuff um, you know I've got a couple of families in my practice right now where it's just you know I treat the kids I treat the parents and I get to see you know how it all kind of interacts with each other you know and there's never anything that's just occurring in a vacuum so you know if, if the wife's having trouble with her diet you know it's because her husband's depressed or you know there's all this stuff going on so um that's something that really resonated with me and you know like i said thankfully because i found out also like way after the fact there's way easier ways to make money than going to medical school and residency and all this other stuff um but yeah no it's i mean it's i can't imagine doing anything else it's a
0: fantastic job and everything else so. no it's awesome it's great when you when you actually find that passion and <laughs> and you make money too yeah. which is great <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, thankfully early on too, man, because there was, um, you know, it was interesting because a lot of people in my class in med school and stuff like that, they, you know, took maybe more of a non-traditional path where they tried another job and they came back or, you know, they they knew they wanted to go to school, but they didn't get it written right away or something like that. Um, It was really kind of cool to see all these different perspectives. You know, I just, I went straight through because I thought that if I took time off, I wouldn't be able to go back. Um, But then, you know, some of these other people that I hung out with, you know, they might have been... Four or five years older than me, but they were so excited to be back in school because they they had that break, Um, you know, and they had all these cool life experiences, you know, working at pharmacies or being a nurse or this or that. Um, So yeah, it was it was nice to kind of get that well rounded experience with it.
0: Awesome. I wanted to to touch on as the first part of this conversation was hormones and specifically the hormones that are most affected whilst dieting and what happens from a physiological perspective can we just get a rough overview of the main hormones that would be affected whilst i mean they're all going to be affected i'm sure but yeah. the the main yeah, I mean, ones part, that we sort of speak about
1: sure i mean part of it kind of depends on how hard you go to you know so one of the big things that we try to emphasize with you know i guess the, the rp approach right um yeah you look at more of like a gradual sort of change you know not so much on like you know, 30 pounds in 30 days, because that tends not to be very sustainable. Um, and for a number of factors, You know, I mean, it's it, one, it's just miserable, but, um, you know, kind of what it takes to get those those results is not sustainable. So, you know, to your point about, you know, hormones and things like that, I mean, your cortisol will shoot up. Sometimes, you know, if you diet really aggressively, your thyroid hormone can get all out of whack. Um, you know, so the and those things will, between your thyroid and, and, like, your cortisol and stuff like that, that'll kind of drive some of those other factors. You know, your hunger kind of goes up. and You're already hungry because you're just not eating enough, and then it just amplifies. Um, cortisol gets too high, then or cortisol, rather, then, um, you know, you start to store fat easier than build muscle. You know, it's like all these kind of negative effects. So by taking more of a gradual approach, I mean, we aim for, you know, something close to about 1% of your, your body weight body weight change per week at the fastest. You know, it's a lot of people that's like a pound or two at the fastest over 12 weeks. Because beyond that, then everything really starts to just kind of go the wrong way. You know, it gets harder and harder to get that progress. It gets harder and harder to maintain your fitness while, you know, losing weight and stuff like that. So I think, you know, it's it's probably a big interplay, you know, and then the the cortisol, I think, is probably one of the more kind of important ones because it just really – you know, starts you know mess with your sleep and you know sugar craving, like all kinds of weird stuff starts going on. You know, and it's it's an important hormone because it does keep us going in times of stress. You know, it'd be nice to say, oh yeah, if we could just do away with it entirely, that'd be great. But people that don't have it, you know, for pathologic reasons, they wind up very very sick. So I mean, it, it is there to you know kind of provide us with that sort of backup fuel and things like that to to get through stressful events and stuff like that. So you know, it's kind of a balancing act of Pushing your body to a limit, but not so far into it or so far past it that you know the system has to reset before you can kind of get back to it.
0: I guess because we need we need a certain level of cortisol, don't we, to to break down tissue and to actually fuel us with yeah. with energy.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's that's definitely part of it. Um you, know, you look at uh, what's called like ghrelin and stuff like that. I mean, those again, like as your your needs go up, your your body's going to say, you know, there's all these different great checks and balances of like oh hey you know we're hungry so all of a sudden it's gonna be like we're gonna make you more and more hungry until you give us food basically and then otherwise you know things get wonky so um you know again with this kind of mostly balanced approach not you know demonizing any one particular macro group you know it's not like you say oh okay we can't have any carbs or we can't have any fat those do get decreased over the course of the diet but you know by controlling those things then you you know keep your body sense oh insulin's another you know good thing to touch on there um you know it kind of keeps your hormones from like going so far out of whack that you can continue to sort of move along um and hopefully keep the hunger at bay you know with a more kind of gradual
0: approach too so there's a few here that i I wanted to sort of run through and just sort of let the people know i guess these are the most not that they're all of them the most popular in in sort of mainstream media and especially the ones that that people come to me with and saying, "Oh, what about this hormone? This hormone? This hormone? This hormone?" So, specifically, yeah. I want to start on with with thyroid. So, with the thyroid, what happens from a physiological perspective during dieting?
1: Um, you know, people talk a bit about, you know, oh, I've got a, a fast metabolism or a slow metabolism, and you know, usually people who are a little bit larger talk about, oh, you know, I've got a slow metabolism, and, and it might feel that way because it's harder to lose weight, and things like that. But you know, to some degree, your metabolism is higher when you're bigger because it. metabolism is just like how you break down calories and stuff like that. Right. So, um, it takes more calories to keep somebody large. So that, that, from that perspective, yeah, I mean, your metabolism kind of keeps up and, you know, your thyroid function will sort of fluctuate along the way. Um, if you put yourself into, you know, when people are like sick in the hospital and things like that, then their, their thyroid hormone can get kind of crazy too. You know, it'll, sometimes it'll go down, sometimes it goes up. Um, you know, I was taught at least, you know, you don't adjust anybody's medications unless you've retested it like, you know, a couple of weeks after things have kind of calmed down. Um, but yeah, that, that could be part of it. You know, if you're if you're running a, a more serious diet, then, you know, you start losing weight, your your thyroid production might even go down a little bit because you're, you know, you're just not fueling the system, right? Or it may, you know, kind of go up the other direction, just trying to keep everything balanced. You know, like I said, there's always this sort of interplay of things trying to
0: keep balance to some degree. So with the um <clears throat> I guess insulin is always a, a very very popular sort of topic so yeah. with insulin as we as we saw sort of start to get leaner do do we become much more insulin sensitive and why might that be
1: yeah there there is definitely something to be said for that um to be honest with you, I can't remember the exact why uh, but mm-hmm. I know as far as like when I'm treating you know, diabetics or people that are on the verge and things like that, you know, you start manipulating carbohydrates in the diet and stuff. You know, that's, that's usually the the quickest go-to, but it seems like, um, and then on top of that, actually the, you know, if you are dieting and if you're, you know, into fitness and you're working out really hard and doing lots of cardio, I mean, the act of exercise itself just increases your insulin sensitivity. So if you are, you know, in your muscles and stuff, so as your muscles are just eating up all the carbs, trying to keep your glycogen stores topped off and all this kind of thing. Um, so in that regard, yeah, as you lose fat, you've just got, I guess, more of your body is, is, you know, or I guess a higher percentage of your body is muscle, so there's just more of a you can kind of direct in that regard, I guess. Um, but yeah, the the more active you are, the more sensitive to insulin you'll be, and then you get kind of a more profound effect from it that way.
0: As these, I guess these effects ha- are, are happening, we're essentially taking this body out of this homeostasis, the complete balance, so we're stressing it yeah. the fuck out basically. Um but yeah. we, I guess it's kind of necessary because we're trying to obtain a a goal that is out of our current state of our balance where the body yeah. feels nice and, and safe and, and well. Well well oh, yeah. in some respects. So can we um can we mitigate some of these sort of extreme effects, especially when going into looking at things like um, ghrelin being shot up through the roof so we're all hungry as hell is there any way of mitigating these effects whilst still being able to achieve the yeah. goal of fat loss
1: oh sure yeah i mean the the biggest thing like again kind of back to what i was touching on before you know i think the pace is a big part of that um and from like a, a just as an aside, like from a psychological standpoint, I think the pace is really important. You know, some people really like to see that big, like, oh yeah, I got, you know, five pounds in the first week, you know, it's really motivating to get momentum. But again, you look at like what's sustainable and, you know, from a psychological standpoint, if you like cut out everything, it's like, okay, well, yeah, you can get progress, but it's, it's just harder to keep doing. So um kind of in the same vein, you know, like if we're You know, we're planning on dieting, let's say 12 weeks or something like that um, by just going at like a reasonable pace along the way that prevents, you know, disrupting that homeostasis so much that it, you know, you start to get, um, I guess, more aberrant behavior or something like that, Uh, you know, so just kind of like, like you said, you want to push the boundaries a little bit, but if you do it just enough, you know, just enough, then that way it kind of keeps everything under control. Um, and not doing anything really excessive, you know, like too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. So too much exercise, you know, you go from like, oh yeah, this is great. I'm getting all this, you know, you know, increase in insulin sensitivity and I'm burning fat. And then all of a sudden the fatigue is shooting up. You know, if you've got somebody that's running 20 miles a day and they're lifting six days a week and they're just not taking any time to rest, then all of a sudden that stress hormone is going to, you know, cortisol is going to start creeping up on you. You know, those things are going to start breaking down a little bit, local metabolites accumulate, all these things. And it's just harder to do it all at once. So, you know, there's definitely a sweet spot of, you know, how much work to do and, you know, how much to cut calories and stuff like that so your body doesn't just, like, freak out. You know, that, the whole, like, starvation mode, not, not, like, really a thing, you know, for most people unless you're genuinely starving in, you know, a situation like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about just, like, pushing the envelope too much all at one time. So, to, to I guess to come back to your question... Uh, The best way to mitigate it, I think one is pace Um, Two, choosing your uh, food sources kind of strategically, you know, in the beginning of a diet, you start off with more food, maybe you back off a little bit on the things that are higher fiber. So you can, you know, get through, it was like a lot of the the clients that I have, um, you know, especially the ones that have never really tracked anything before. And I say, okay, you know, you're going to eat lean protein, veggies, you know, whole grains and healthy fats five times a day. And then you're going to have protein shakes on top of that. And they're like, oh, my God, I've never eaten so much in my life. Are you sure I'm going to lose weight? It's like, yeah. I mean, if you're eating healthy food, you know, they're high volume but lower calorie for that same volume. Versus if you eat a chocolate bar, it takes up no space in your stomach. It digests immediately and you just gave yourself, you know, 300 calories for nothing, right? So, you know, later on in the diet as things get, like, slimmer and slimmer, that's when I start telling people, like, okay. You know, because we on, on the RP diets, we have lists of recommended foods. We don't tell anybody exactly what to eat because, you know. Free choice and all that, right? Um, but, you know, it'll be like chicken, fish, you know, lean beef, stuff like that. And then it'll be like veggies are a certain column um, because we've kind of factored in, like, okay, so long as the vegetable doesn't have more than five grams of carbs per serving, it's kind of a freebie, you know? And then the carbs would be like brown rice and sweet potatoes, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when people are down to like, okay, their meal is 30 grams of protein, five grams of, of fat, and like, 10 grams of carbs, and they're like, you know, this is nothing. If I eat, you know, a, a corner of a piece of bread, I'm over on my carbs. It's like, okay, well, use cabbage to get that much, you know, to get, you know, 10 or 15 grams of carbs from cabbage. It's, it's like a shitload of cabbage, you know? So, or, you know, the other example I give, you know, 30 grams of carbs from brown rice is like less than a cup, right? But if you do 30 grams of carbs from cabbage, it's, it's like a whole head of cabbage, it's like four cups. So, I mean, not that anybody really wants to eat that much cabbage, but, I mean, you got to force that, you know. I mean, that's – talk about keeping yourself full, you know, just from, like, the the stretch reflex in the stomach, that can go a long way, you know, especially, like, the meals later in the evening. Um, That's a good, like, kind of hunger mitigation strategy right there, you know, or some people like to snack on, you know, cookies or cakes or whatever, biscuits. Um, You know, you say, okay, well, yeah, I always – I'm craving all this stuff at night. It's like, okay, well – yeah, it would probably be ideal to center your carbs around your workout because of that insulin sensitivity thing. But if we know from a consistency standpoint, it's going to be easier to follow the diet more often if we put all those carbs at night, then yeah, let's do that. So I've had to do that for a number of clients where it's like, okay, well, yeah, you work out at you know 10 in the morning, but you go to bed at 12 and you're eating all your carbs between like 9 and 12 and they go to bed full and like the cravings are satisfied and they're like, yeah, I can do this now for 12 weeks instead of... You know, by the third week they're like oh my god you know I, I just need a cookie at night or something like that so that's that's one thing you know timing is part of it um just kind of knowing what your own sort of uh you know everybody's got their own nuances and things like that in their personality
0: so. yeah I think a lot of people <clears throat> one thing I have to get across to a lot of my own clients is the nutrient density versus the calorie density yeah, and go just literally there's 350 calories in a kit kat and a kit kat chunky it, it's this fucking big do you know what i mean <laughs> i'm just like that's not going to fill you at all but if we take that same meal and go cool have a chicken breast and some vegetables and you're looking you can get around the same calories but the meal's going to be about nine times okay. as big you know
1: absolutely And the other one too like you know this difference between how you know protein well that's another just kind of another point there too of like how you structure your diet you know I, protein is going to get a lot more emphasis especially for athletes and stuff one because it helps, you know, preserve or build muscle mass and two because it's really satiating. So, you know, if if you say to somebody, you can have as much chicken breast as you want or you can have as much cereal as you want, I mean, they're looking at like two boxes of cereal versus probably two chicken breasts and they're like, oh, fuck it, I don't care anymore, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, just kind of picking the right right combination of things is going to go a long way.
0: So when these, I guess, all these hormones have just massively downregulated during this dieting phase... Is there a specific yeah. time frame? And it might be different for, for all of them to regain some sort of normal levels.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, typically, you know, we, we recommend about 12 weeks for, for most dieters, you know. And because of all those things, like I said, the psychological aspect and, I mean, psychological aspects really is such a big piece of it. Um, but then on top of that, yeah, like your hormones and stuff like that start to kind of get weird towards that 12-week mark. Um, you know, you look at, like, bodybuilders and people that are looking... To get to that next level you know the average person is very different than the competitive bodybuilder you know and the, the even the, like the amateur competitive bodybuilder versus the professional competitive bodybuilder i mean just the minutia starts to matter so much more on those types you know between those two groups so around that 12 week mark for bodybuilding purposes you know i'll run somebody like 16 weeks kind of at the longest i mean that's that's still that's pretty miserable you know to do 16 weeks straight i remember i knew a guy when i was in med school he was an optometrist Natural bodybuilder, phenomenal shape. I mean, just like striations like crazy. But he would diet for like 23 weeks leading into a show. I was like, dude. And you'd see him and he would just be like, he was, he was done, you know. Um, but at any rate, so yeah, around that 12-week mark. And then typically what we recommend is at least two months of just maintenance, you know. And the, the maintenance process, the the way we usually handle it is just, you know, every week and a half, two weeks or so, as long as your weight is within a few pounds, Um, or within a kilo or so, um, you know, you kind of slowly reintroduce carbs and fats, you know, maybe 10 grams at a time, 15 grams at a time, nothing crazy, you know? And really the first, like, I'd say two, three weeks is when it's the most sort of critical to, you know, really still be kind of on, on point with the diet. You know, there's a lot of people like to, Oh, you know, thank God it's over and they're going to go to cheesecake factory and just like while out for a little bit. And then they wake up the next day and they're like 10 pounds up, um, so really try to say, okay, let's let's limit cheat meals until like the third week, and you know then you start doing maybe one a week, and then it becomes a little bit looser as the body sort of recovers, um, and that that psychological aspect goes down a little bit too because they're like, okay, you know I'm I'm not dieting, I'm I'm not as hungry all the time, I feel better. Uh, maybe you say, all right, you know if you're gonna have a cheat meal, make it just an extra serving of of chicken and rice. So then it's like, all right, well I'm I'm getting more food, but it's not that like crazy overload, you know flavor kind of thing i mean with the the way they they engineer things literally to to be as flavorful as possible i mean it's a it's such a losing battle for so many people you know because it's like how are you going to compete with that you know we tried to keep my kid from having ketchup for like the longest time because i mean you can't come back from ketchup
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's phenomenal it's great
1: (laughs) yeah there's sugar there's salt there's all of it so but yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. You just kind of slowly, slowly reintroduce macros, hopefully keep the weight about the same. Um, you know, we tell people, you know, more or less, your metabolism's recovering, right? You just, like, slugged your body down for so long, and, you know, you put all this work in, and now we just, we're going to make sure it stays, but we got to do it responsibly. You know, just go slow. Longer maintenance periods tend to be more successful. In the very beginning, when I was coaching, you know, people would purchase a three-month plan, and, you know, they'd maybe come back for another three months, and, you know, if two months of that is staying the same, people get irritated. You know, they're like, why am I paying you if I'm not losing weight anymore? So we try to do like a four-week maintenance period. But in that time, I'd only have put, you know, 20, 30 grams of anything back into their diet. And that's, you know, that's next to nothing. So, the, you know, two months, I might be able to double or triple that. You know, because you kind of you get a little bit faster towards the end of that two months because their weight is really stable. It's nice. Um, and then, you know, depending on how you pair that with your, your training and stuff too, that, that can kind of make a difference.
0: So I guess post post diet, someone's I guess gotten to gotten to where they sort of want to be. Be at. I'm assuming it's going to be yeah. quite aggressive at that point. Would you then generally go straight up to their their new perceived maintenance, or would you do more of a reverse diet approach?
1: It depends on the person and how long they've been dieting. You know, I've had a couple clients, you know, especially um, for the first couple of years. There it was interesting. Like ninety percent of my clients were, you know. Maybe like mid 30s to mid 40s year old women. It was just the ones that were, it just seemed to be that was the demographic of the people that were like really serious about it and dedicated, had already tried a bunch of stuff and were just like ready for a change. Um, so for a lot of them, you know, they had already tried a zillion different diets and were, you know, finally successful, hopefully most of them. Um, so that would be like, okay, let's like really take our time with this, you know, and some of them, it would be like a three month, four month maintenance phase you know, so long as they were sticking around with me and everything, um, just to be like, yeah, you know, now it doesn't seem as, you know, the the thought of losing weight doesn't seem as intrusive, you know, because that's, that's unfortunately a big aspect for a lot of people, you know, especially people that have struggled with weight for a long time. Um, you know, it's just like a constant thing. You know, I, I come from not small people. I'm the little guy in my family and I'm six foot, 270 at my biggest. So... You know, I've seen it. In my family members, you know, they've tried this, they've tried that, and it's just always a thing. And it's like anytime, you know, if if my mom went out to to eat or something, it'd be like she'd feel bad, you know, about whatever it was. And it's like we well, shouldn't have to feel bad about eating something. You know, it's like you just don't want to eat like crap all the time. Um, but at any rate, so like you know, kind of helping to fix some of that situation, right? You just made progress, and we're going to slowly reintroduce some of those old habits. Not all of them, of course, but you know. Enjoy that meal out for your anniversary. Enjoy these, you know, special occasions because you don't have to feel bad about doing stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it just mostly it just kind of depends on the person as far as how long and how much. Um, But I'd say at minimum, like I said, eight weeks for most people is pretty good, and aim for maybe, you know, even if it's like a fifteen to thirty percent increase in their their macros and calories and stuff like that over that period of time, that still gives you a pretty good leg up for like the next round. Like let's say somebody's. 250 and they want to be 200 right so you take them from 250 down to like 230 in those 12 weeks as you know a good kind of aggressive diet phase you hold for two months and they say all right we're going from you know 230 now down to 215 you know because the second one tends to be a little bit tougher um you know then you're ready to go you know hopefully they're they're rested you got enough food to work with where it's not like okay you know right out of the gate your new base diet is you know two peas and shame you know what I mean like it's <laughs> you gotta have like a little bit of something to work with there so it helps to to take that time to build it up you know especially if somebody's got like a good a good chunk to go um and one thing I like to tell people you know, especially like patients and stuff because a lot of my patients are not you know they're not athletes they're just they could just benefit from losing some weight and getting in better shape and stuff like that um so sorry my son is coming to visit
0: that's good he is can jump on and say him? hello it's all good
1: is that all right if he says hi real quick? Absolutely. Hey, bub. come here. This is my son, Adrian.
0: Hey, Adrian, how are you? There. And he's scared. <laughs> I do that. I do yeah. that to people. It's the beard I've grown. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, but yeah, a lot of my patients, you know, I just try to emphasize to them, there's there's no, um, you know, there's no deadline to this. It's mm. like, it's not like, oh, we got to be, you know, shredded by summer for a lot of these guys because they're, you know, they're. Just working dudes and they need to get their cholesterol better you know so for them it's like okay if we can lose you know that 30 to some of them 100 pounds over the next two three years you know, every time we do this you're going to be healthier and your you know your cholesterol is going to get better you're you know that's really the biggest one for a lot of these guys you know cholesterol is going to get better blood pressure is going to get better all that kind of stuff you know so it it helps to kind of keep that in mind you know for for strength athletes um, and certain other sports and stuff like that You know, you You got to worry about weight classes and things. But even that, you know, it's good. You just kind of take your time. It's like, okay, well, if you've got to be ready for nationals or something, yeah, that puts a little bit different spin on it. But for the average person who's not competing in something like that, it's like, okay, you know, just take your time to do it. Because if you take your time, it's going to go a lot better, you know, in the long run. You know, that's. Do you guys have Weight Watchers in.
0: Yes. Yeah, we do.
1: Okay. So Weight Watchers is actually one of those, like, kind of mainstream diets that. a a decent amount of data behind it i guess as far as success because their big thing is just gradual lifestyle change and you know what what we do at renaissance is more geared towards the you know athletic performance side of things but there's that common vein of like you know just gradual changes are going to lead to bigger success over time because again it's just really all about that you know what can you do consistently for a long time to, to get those results and keep those results
0: so while we're dieting, obviously health—we uh, touched on just then—but health's a massive, fundamental pillar. I guess is, is the foundation. It's something that, yeah. kind of, yeah, it's kind of important. I think. Um, what are some of the health markers that we can monitor during dieting, and and some of the metrics that yeah. we can pay attention to? Because I'm I'm sure you're aware as well from your experience, but. So many people that I've worked with and and spoken with are happy to drop you know twenty thirty pounds the plus, um, oh, sure. but they don't give a shit about you know oh I'm not but I'm not sleeping but I feel like hell I'm angry all the time yeah. you know I'm irritated and stuff like that you're just like that's kind of important too Do you know like these yeah. are significant marks that your body is yeah. hating everything <laughs> that you are doing.
1: Yeah no that's a hundred percent man. Um, as far as like blood work goes the big things that. I you know, kind of like just thinking my my standard panel that i like to check i like to check thyroid hormone i check a uh, complete blood count you know it checks your white cells blood uh you know red cells platelets all that stuff um a metabolic panel your liver kidneys electrolytes um and then you know for depending on the person you know the cholesterol profile and a hemoglobin a1c which is like a good sort of marker of your um your blood sugar over the last three months so I mean that's it's a pretty good representation of, of health in general, you know, because you're getting kind of a little bit of everything, the major organ systems. Um, you know, the people I would assume at least the people that are like really invested in, you know, if they're doing if they're invested enough to pursue like blood work and dieting and all this other stuff. I mean, all those things are probably going to be okay. You know, if they had one of those like big kind of oh, shit moments and I got to get it together, um, then. Yeah, that might be a little bit different, you know, because then you can at least say, okay, this is what your cholesterol was to begin with. Um, unfortunately, largely genetically influenced, but still diet and exercise do play a part in it. Um, so then you can check that again at the end of the diet and say, cool, you know, that's another motivating factor of, you know, we're we're seeing progress. It's another metric of, of improvement. So that's a big one. Um, something that might pop up. I don't know if you follow uh, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky.
0: I do. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's he's great. I I got a lot of respect for that guy. Um, but he just he did a post on Instagram about this recently. You know, something that pops up sometimes for athletes when you're looking at your your blood work is that their um, their creatinine will be elevated. It's one of the markers for kidney function. Basically, it's something we have in our body that normally we filter out at an expected rate. So when you check the blood work, if it's elevated, it means you're not filtering it as fast, which could mean your kidneys aren't doing great. Um, but what can happen is you know if you have somebody who is you know, carrying more muscle mass than tip, than the average, or if they are, you know, consuming a high protein diet or something like that, then their creatine might go up. You know, and their doctor might say, "Oh no, that's you know, that's bad for you. Your your kidneys are failing and all this other stuff." And it's like really, so long as everything else is in line, it's probably fine. It's more of just a sort of a side. I don't know if side effect is even the right word for it, but it's just another thing that can happen when you have a lot of protein around, whether from your body or from your diet. Um, when people supplement creatine that might kind of spike it a little bit, you know, so those are things to kind of keep in mind, you know, don't freak out right away if you have this sort of abnormal creatine, unless it's like way off the charts or something like that, then you go see a doctor for it. But, um, you know, slight elevations and things might just be because, you know, you get a high protein diet and carry muscle mass. Um, other things to watch, you know, liver function. It's not something that I would expect to kind of go haywire from, you know, being proactive in dieting, uh, maybe if somebody's doing like a mass diet, because that's mass diets are, are always fun too. You know, same same idea. You pace yourself. You go that same kind of rate, just in reverse. You know, slowly increase your carbs and fats and protein and stuff. Um, but that might be something to watch. You know, if you put on 20, 30 pounds over the course of three months, then make sure your liver didn't get fat and your enzymes go up or something like that. Um, other just kind of general indicators of health you know, watch your blood pressure, watch your sleep, sleep is, I'm glad you brought that up. That's such a a huge, huge part of everything. You know, I, I mean, it's incredible. The more you, you kind of look into it, just how important it is. And it's always fascinating to me how little we fully know about it. You know, same as like the field of neurology is just so fascinating because we don't know shit and it's just so infinitely complex that it's like, I don't know. You know, you read the, the mechanism of action on some of the like, you know, antidepressants and stuff. And it says, we don't know but it works. It's like, great. (laughs) prescribing it, but it just says mechanism unknown. You know, this, this is the expected outcome. So, um, but yeah, sleep, sleep would be a big one, you know, kind of like you mentioned, if, if somebody is like really hardcore dieting and their sleep goes completely, you know, haywire, then that's going to affect their recovery. Cortisol is going to go up. That's going to affect their everything, right? It's going to make it harder to lose weight. So I think that's like, maybe where some people might run into trouble you know they they start stalling a little bit and their stress goes up their sleep goes bad they're like well i just got to work harder so then they you know run an extra two miles at the gym and you know they push an extra set and then they're still not losing weight and it's just like compounding the issue because they're just causing more and more fatigue to accumulate and more and more of these you know negative effects from the hormones to accumulate um and it just makes her job harder and harder, you know? So sometimes you'll you'll see that, like, again, with people that have chronically dieted and things like that. Um, I had a, a client one time. She was like, she kept hopping around. She was like, really, you know, high-level physique. And then she was like, oh, I'm going to do Olympic weightlifting. And I'm going to do powerlifting. And it just kept switching switching. And she was like, and one day she just emailed me. She's like, I think I have an eating disorder. I was like, y- yeah, go get help. <laughs> man. I think we're done. Like, yeah. uh, this isn't this place, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it was really good that she recognized it, you know, before it became an issue. So, um, yeah, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but yeah. (laughs) So yes,
0: it's all that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's brilliant. It's love, and I think a lot of people, especially in today's day and age, do suffer with some mild eating disorder, especially in the in the health and fitness world. Because we do we do go from where we're at and we, we look at this ideal figure, whether it's on social media or the internet or in, in bodybuilding and go, that's the way I want to look, but I want to look like that yeah. in six or 12 months. You're like, yeah, but you're four years away from looking like that person.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Or, you know, the unfortunate thing too is a lot of the stuff that you see in media is, you know, there's a little secret sauce involved in that. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially like the, you know, younger guys, college kids and stuff, they don't, maybe don't realize that. That's what it takes. And, you know, and then of course there's Photoshop and everything else, you know, and it's, it is, yeah, it's tough. There's just kind of an unrealistic standard set for, for everybody, you know, men, and women, both, you know, cause it used to be, oh, you gotta be stick thin for women. And now it's like, well, you gotta be thick fit. And yeah, I mean, that's great. Cause that's a lot, I would assume at least healthier to achieve, but you know, people pursuing surgery and stuff to get that aesthetic without, yeah, I
0: don't know. It's it's just there's there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, it's an insane market, isn't it? And it's um it's funny when you sort of look out and see see these people, especially these young kids, and these guys are. 19 21 years old and they look as good as arnold did on the olympia stage at his peak and you're just like it's like but i'm naturally like dude i don't give a shit if you're natural or not but the issue arises if you're saying that you are and then you're telling people that they can look like you that's where the issue arises because you're creating such a fucked up psyche with these these people who've got no idea about the health and fitness industry and they're coming and going i'm gonna look like you you're like but you're really fucking not. Whereas if you're like, look, I'm taking X, Y, and Z. Here's how I'm taking I know there's a few people out there that I follow that that are quite open with it, which I personally think is great because they're at least educated. And they fundamentally say, do not do this. I don't advise it. However, if you're already going down this path, here's some of the things that I'm sort of doing. And the ones that I've specifically followed always recommend going to see your doctor first and getting some actual advice first and foremost.
1: Yeah. No, there's definitely something to be said about that. I mean, there's... Obviously, I can't condone, you know, use of, of anything illegal anyway, but, you know, there's, I think there's something to be said for, yeah, having the the educated decision, right? You know, I mean, that that's a whole, like, political can of worms, I guess, you know, what should be legal and what shouldn't and everything else. But, you know, from a, the face value of it, yeah, I mean, if somebody knows the, the risk of it and if they're not hurting anybody to do it and all, et cetera, et cetera, then, yeah, it's like, okay, you know, there's kind of a damage control way to do it you know if you watch your blood pressure you watch your cholesterol your liver your kidney function all of these things make sure your heart's working fine you know occasional stress tests and things um something you could watch you know i mean there are professional athletes across the board not just strength sports and you know physique sports and stuff like that um you know that do it for decades and they're okay you know not to say that everybody will because not everybody will you know there's I remember when I first got involved in powerlifting, there was, uh, you know, that's when, like, Westside Barbell was really, they were just the top shit, man. Yeah. You know, geared lifting and, you know, gear in every sense of the word. It was just, <laughs> like, the Wild West, man. And I remember being in college, like, looking, you know, more or less looking up to these guys to be like, oh, my God, you know, this that's what power, like, that's what it takes. Um, but you see these guys, they, they all of a sudden, they'd be Westside guys. They'd have like two or three just incredible meets, and then they disappear, and you'd hear about it like months later. Be like, oh yeah, no, that guy almost died, so he had to stop. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, <laughs> I thought he was just a rookie. Like, I thought this was it. Oh, no, no, no. Like, you know, no. yeah, because there, oh, there was one guy, uh, Chuck fought. He was incredible. He was like, he deadlifted nine hundred, and like the first two years he was like on the scene, and nobody was deadlifting nine hundred then. And then all of a sudden he was just he was done. Somebody's like, oh yeah, he he almost croaked. So yeah. it's like that's that's the thing though like he he made his choice to get to that assuming to get to that point right um and then made the choice to get out of it because he you know maybe he felt the risks or whatever um but yeah i mean there's there's something to be said for that of of honesty and you know it's like okay this this is what it is so at least it doesn't set the the expectation the wrong way
0: Hmm. so we're talking about i guess a general guideline of of eating, eating well, eating for health. Is there is there a general gathering that you guys have? Is it more of a flexible approach? Is it a, a percentage of good to bad food? Quote unquote bad food. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys use?
1: The way I always explain it to to patients, at least, you know, there's there's levels to it. General healthy eating, try to eat what you would assume is a healthy food. You know, at this at this point, people, even if they're trying to avoid it, it's hard to not know what's like considered a healthy food, right? If you look at grilled chicken versus fried, you're like, yeah, grilled is probably better for me. Um, so that's, like, the base level. You know, try to make the healthier choice. The next step is try to make the healthier choice, and if you can't do that, I guess those two two stages are kind of equivalent, but um, at least, you know, eat less. You know, because a lot of my, again, a lot of my patients are hardworking tradesmen that are, like, you know, they work 12 hours, and all they can do is hit McDonald's, you know, for their half-an-hour break that they have. So it's like, okay, if you normally – When you hit McDonald's, you get three sandwiches and fries and a Coke, get two sandwiches and fries and a Coke or, you know, two sandwiches and, you know, find some way to cut a little bit. And if you, even if you just start with that, that calorie reduction is still going to improve your health. Um, Yeah. I remember reading some stuff about how, you know, just like one of the biggest impact or one of the biggest um, influencing factors on like health and stuff like that is just like your calorie intake, you know, regardless of where it comes from, if you're just in excess, you're just putting more stress on your body. It's more work for your pancreas. It's more work for your liver. Um, so that's one, you know, it's controlling calories. So then, like, the next level up is, like, okay, I'm eating healthy, healthy everything but the amounts, you know. And that's, like, the 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 rule of thumb, I guess, I would go with is gram per pound of, or a gram of protein per pound of body weight. I usually, when I'm designing diets for people, I go kind of more of an estimate on their lean body mass than on their actual body mass because, like, You know, I I had a client one time, um, this guy was like, I think it was 420 pounds or something like that, and yeah, you know, he wasn't, the only exercise he got was walking. He made tremendous progress. He lost, I want to say it was like 60 pounds in those 12 weeks. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, But that's the thing, like I wouldn't give him 420 grams of protein because that would just be obscene, right? I mean, he doesn't have 420 pounds of muscle to maintain, and yeah, so I mean, there's a little bit of kind of giving there. But yeah, I would aim for about that one-ish grams or, what is that, half a gram per, or a,
0: two, or two grams, two per, grams kilo. per kilo. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, you know, for that. And then for carbs, one to three grams per pound, um, kind of dependent on activity. You know, if, if your workouts are about an hour, um, and that's like a couple days a week, I go closer to that one to one and a half grams per pound mark. Um, if somebody's like three hours, you know, five days a week, then that's closer to the three-gram three, three gram mark. Um and then fat is kind of just like the rest. I sort of start anybody, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but anybody under like 200 pounds, I kind of start them between 60 and 80 grams of fat per day. And then within a, a week or two, we get a good idea of kind of like how they respond to the diet and then start cutting the fats first, you know, cause they just, they have the least impact on, you know, your performance and stuff. And again, we're, we're dealing mostly with athletes. Um, So proteins there to keep your muscle around carbs help, you know, prevent muscle breakdown. They help recovery, they help performance. They're they're fantastic. So try to keep those as high as we can for as long as we can. Um, So that's why they get the most emphasis of like, okay, hard and fast rules for those and fats just kind of become the filler. You know, they're, they carry more calories per weight. So it's nice to be able to manipulate those. So again, back to like being able to stay full, yeah, fats are very satiating, but you know, if, if let's say your, your fat source is, you know, peanut butter. If you go from like two tablespoons of peanut butter at every meal to one tablespoon of peanut butter, you just reduce your calories significantly um, without that much difference of food volume or difference in food volume rather. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thing. And then as far as, you know, beyond that, try and get vegetables with most meals. They just, they help keep you full. They have vitamins and fiber and all that kind of
0: stuff. Is there a level that fats can get too, too low? Because um, gets like fats are obviously... Yeah, that actually, that,
1: that does get interesting sometimes. Mm. Um, rare occasions I've had women clients that their menstrual cycle gets all messed up when the fats get too low. Because that starts to, as far as like hormones go, that can start to impact, you know, some of your, your you know estrogen and testosterone and stuff like that because they're derived from cholesterol. So um, it can happen. It's not super common, but it is something that can happen. So, you know, plus it, again back to the psychology of it it just gets kind of miserable you know if you can't have any fat of anything because it tastes good you know um but yeah so that that is one thing that i've seen there i don't know if it was estrogen or uh, progesterone one of the two just like kind of starts to fall off a little bit or testosterone starts to drop a little bit or something and that's when people just kind of feel gross or they're like oh you know my sex drive is just gone all of a sudden <laughs> like, oh okay but then i've also seen you know clients post in the Facebook group being like, Oh my god, you know, this is like the horniest I've ever been. It's like, I don't know if it's yeah. just because they're like seeing results and they're feeling themselves, or if it's something else. I don't know.
0: I guess it's probably, um, I guess the general rule of thumb, especially that we use over here in Australia, is is that fats don't go too low, it's needed for hormonal function, but it's probably very individual to individual case to case basis. Sorry, um. Because I know yeah. uh, even dieting my fats uh, at times have gotten, depending on the phase, like sometimes they've gotten really low and I felt absolutely fine and great. And then uh, they've gotten really low as well, but i just felt like hell. So, but there's also yeah. all these other factors that we've got to be aware of.
1: Absolutely. You know, I remember, uh Izratel telling me, like, you know, like the minimum requirement for fat for like physiologic function is something like 15 grams a day. And if you're eating protein, you know, five times a day, you're probably going to get your fat Some even more fat. You know what I mean? So, like, to add fat to it. But, you know, to your point, you can feel like absolute dog shit, like, even if you're well above the minimum. You know, minimum is minimum. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's not optimum by any means, mm. right? So, I mean, there's, yeah. And then everything in between, I guess, is the, the individual aspect of it.
0: Would there be something to say is that if you're holding on to more stored body fat, you can potentially go a little bit lower as you can potentially use or metabolize some of the fats that's already stored?
1: It does sound reasonable. Yeah, I think so. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it seems that way at least. I honestly I can't recall off the top of my head, yeah. you know, from a physiological explanation. But yeah, I mean, it seems reasonable. Yeah, because I remember reading uh, a Facebook exchange of this guy talking about I don't remember what he was even trying to argue, but he kept talking about how he's like, oh no, you know, I trim all the fat off my meat. I like he washed everything so extensively, basically. He 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 was the only person I've ever seen that he was describing symptoms of like a like a true fat. Um, like, deficit, I guess, or uh, deficiency, you know Mm. what I mean? It was really, it was bizarre, but, like, you know, skin changes and mood changes and, you know, like, weird stuff, and I was like, oh, yeah, man, he probably took it too far. Mm. Um, But, yeah, most other people, you know, and he was, I think he was, like, kind of a bodybuilder guy, so, you know, he was, like, kind of low as it was. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think it it, it would make sense, I guess, if you have extra fat around, I mean, you could break that down and, and use it. Plus, your liver does produce, you know, sugar and cholesterol and
0: stuff like that on its own mm. so mm. yeah I just thought, I thought it would be an interesting point that I just threw out there that popped into my head I was yeah. like I wonder um, yeah. so next up I wanted to touch on um, routines so routines and habits yeah. specifically do you have any that you would use on a day to day basis to optimize your life for success
1: yeah um, and <laughs> we talked before we started recording I <laughs> <laughs> I don't always follow my own advice, but (laughs) I think that's just part of being human. Um, I would say the best thing that you can do is to be prepared as much as possible, right? So if you can get in a routine of preparing in a lot of different ways, right? Preparing your body for the day, preparing yourself for success. So make sure you get adequate sleep. You know, there are people that will function on five hours of sleep, um, four hours of sleep, most people probably do better six to eight, six to ten. If you're an athlete, right? Um, I don't know anybody who's got ten hours of sleep a day, except for my my newborn. But I mean, more power to anybody that that's that's their life, right? Um, but yeah, so starting with that, because if you're well rested, you're going to recover better. You're just everything's going to function better. You're going to fire on all cylinders. You know, there's a lot to be said about um, you know people who get good sleep. You know, as far as like blood pressure, and, you know, blood sugar, and all these other things. Um so starting with sleep is really just the biggest thing. Uh the next part that I would say as far as being prepared, if you can meal prep, it really does make such a difference. Um and even if it's just not having junk in the house. You know, cuz especially with the the quarantine going on and stuff like that, it's been a big conversation I've had with a lot of my my patients is like, you know, some of these guys that have more administrative roles are working from home and they're gaining weight cuz they're they're not walking job sites anymore. The, the cupboard is right next to them, you know, they're working at their kitchen table. So it's like too easy to go grab something. And then it's like, okay, well, my schedule is wide open. I'll have a couple beers. Right. So, you know, just reducing your exposure to things that will take you off track, you know, and sometimes it can be a real drag. If it's like, you know, your friends want to go out and, and have just like a casual, you know, pizza night or something. It's like, not tonight. Or maybe I'll eat before I go, you know, that can help you. know, just being prepared for, for these situations. Um, you know, that, that really can go a long way. I, and that's something I actually, have something else we mentioned before, uh, we started recording is, you know, I just started my, my next diet like this week and it's been huge. My wife and I have been cooking, I've had food ready, so I'm not ordering out. I'm not, you know, getting delivery. I'm not, um, you know, reaching for my kids snacks and stuff like that. I, it's like, okay, I have the Tupperware. It's, it's got the, you know, lean meat, it's got rice and veggies in it. It's ready. I'm eating. I'm good. You know. Um, those are really the biggest and keeping a consistent schedule as best you can with training. Um, I'm also an av- at the other side of that coin though. I'm an advocate for like being flexible with your training. You know, I was really, really kind of a, I don't know, tight ass I guess about it when I was in college where I had to do bench on Mondays. I had to, you know, squat on Wednesday or whatever it was. Um, there
0: yeah we lost that we lost the signal for just uh for about 20 seconds there i was like oh. Hello. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay so what, what was the last part you heard
0: um you were super rigid you had to bench on monday was the last oh, sentence that i yeah. heard
1: yeah so like i was it would stress me out like if i couldn't lift on the days that i was used to so when i got to, to med school i had to be i just had to be more flexible if i wanted to train so it was like you know if i had an exam or something important coming up then i would have to be like okay well i'm gonna bump it a day and then the benefit of that too is I got an extra day of recovery, you know? So my session actually went better than if I had tried to like push through it when I was already like sleep deprived because I was studying or something, you know? So in, in some degree having a routine definitely beneficial because it's just like, yes, this is what I do. It's not that I have to do it. It's, this is what I already do. It's just part of my routine. Um, but also giving yourself the option of like, okay, well, so long as I get it done, you know, I'm getting this number of sessions in per week and I'm recovering and all that other kind of stuff. Um, That's Yeah, those are – that's probably the two biggest things, man, just like really making making it easier for yourself to stay on track and avoiding things that are going to take you off track. Um, You know, people get kind of hung up on that, like, oh, you mean I can never go out with my friends again? It's like, no, I didn't say that. You know, a diet is, like I said, usually at longest three, four months, right? And if you can stick it out for those three months, like really dedicated, really – you know, I don't usually have my clients do cheat meals unless they're like way ahead of of schedule – so it's like you know if if you can't cheat for 12 months or for 12 weeks you're gonna be in really much better shape and then when those 12 weeks are over we can start reintroducing those things and then, you know eventually once you get down you know you take that 250 pound person down to 200 pounds and they're happy there. it's sustainable and you say okay now you can sort of like live your life a little bit more and you know it doesn't have to be this like oh god you know guilt etc it's just like yeah I mean it because hopefully by that point we've established better eating habits too you know if you're mostly good most of the time you're probably going to be alright so.
0: is there a a book that you've read recently that's had a profound effect on your life in a positive way and if, it, might, it could be a couple of books or an article or something you might have even watched
1: in the fitness realm or just in general
0: it can be either or oh,
1: that's a good question I don't read as much as I should to be honest with you <laughs> lately unfortunately a lot of the stuff that I read is about COVID just because it's is that <laughs> yeah. the job. Yeah. I mean, I guess shameless self-promotion, but I mean, honestly, the RP books are like, they're not inspirational by any means, but I mean just good nuts and bolts goes through all of the, the, you know, the excellent summary of, you know, how to structure a diet and, you know, really just kind of how to do it. And then the nice thing about it since it's all scientifically based, there's references to everything. So, you know, the RP diet book, RP 2.0, um, I'm a co-author on the healthy eating RP book. Um, so that one's good but other than that man i i read i do like to read satire so the onion i'm familiar with the onion Mm. it's always funny to me just how like on the nose they are about just the state of the world so (laughs) that's that's probably my my favorite source of news because you know you you can get a lot of truth from from the exaggeration and everything else so Mm.
0: yeah No, beautiful man, and I want to be super respectful of the time. But what's next for you? What are you working on this year? Is any other books coming up for you, or what's going on there?
1: Yeah, the biggest things right now. Um, slowly working on a water cut manual with Dr. Derek Wilcox and another gentleman who I feel terrible. I can't remember his name, but he's a he's like an MMA fighter, and he's he's the real deal. I feel bad. I can't remember his name, but (laughs) basically, you know making, making weight for any weight class sport, you know, 24 hour weigh in or two hour weigh in there's, you know, there's kind of a protocol on how you do it. So my part is to write about how shit can go bad, you know, the potential health, negative health effects of dehydration, you know, whether it be concussion risk or, you know, muscle tears and stuff like that. Um, so there's that in the works. Um, otherwise just blotting away, man, just trying to stay one piece working on uh, trying to cut about 20 pounds it's time. I think I'm stepping back from powerlifting after. How long have I been doing this? 14 years. Yeah, it's been about 14 mm-hmm. years pursuing powerlifting, and it's just it's you know knee pain, hip pain, back pain, sort of working through those, and then I had uh, you know some some other health stuff come up, and it's like okay, I think enough's enough, and. I think it's just time. So I'm going to cut some weight, just try and get in better shape, make sure I can still play with my kids on the floor and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's the next big adventure is trying to figure out how to be a normal person again.
0: <laughs> is that, especially for someone who's experienced as you are in this field and working obviously with RP, dropping uh, dropping that 20 pounds or so, is that difficult for you?
1: Yeah, uh, well, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like I said, I don't always follow my own advice necessarily. But, you know, I've, I've been working this week on – you know, I went from zero cardio, it was again, one of the things that I needed to change. You know, I mean that's just that just needs to be part of it. Um, so now I'm, you know, walking every day. So that's that's one thing. It's nice, it helps you clear your head a little bit, feel a lot better, honestly, just like getting the blood moving in that regard. You know, something I, I disregarded once I got into powerlifting was just how much like going for a walk can be really nice. Um But really, you know, just avoiding food that tastes good. You know, I live around Chicago and
0: Pizza, and, Chicago pizza. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: we had family down for Christmas, and we had deep dish like two or three times in a, in a five-day window, and it's just like.
0: It was amazing, I'm sure.
1: It was, yeah, it was incredible. I felt <laughs> awesome, because I, <laughs> I had just come off of a cut. Like, I, I went from, I think I was up around 275, I got down to 260, and then my daughter was born like the week of Thanksgiving, so then it was like Thanksgiving, stress, baby, people visiting and put maybe five pounds back on but I was like holding around 260 and then like two weeks ago I stepped on the scale and I was 272 and I was like oh fuck man like (laughs) gotta do it all over again um I had plans before the the pandemic we were supposed to go to Cancun so I was like yeah "Yeah, that's great that that was gonna be my next like 11 week period of dieting Mm. and then the quarantine happened and I just got fat so (laughs) now it's like okay so the hardest part I guess is just kind of uh just reeling it in again because I kind of just ate recklessly for Couple months there, mm. so you know, same same as a lot of people. You know, it's just uh, you get a craving for something or you get hungry, and you know, part of my my thought of like taking a step back from powerlifting too is like I know how I get. Again, the psychological aspect. I know how I get when I'm chasing numbers. You know, and I'm when I was trying to squat 700 pounds, it was like I'm gonna get as big as I fucking need to be, and I'm gonna eat whatever it takes to you know recover from these workouts and just like just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and you know it's not sustainable you know mm-hmm. so i know that if i say okay you know i'm gonna get down to the 242 class and or the what is that 110 kilo mm-hmm. i was like i'm gonna get down to that you know maybe maybe i'll squat six at 242 or you know maybe maybe i can still bench 455 or something and then I was like no, no fuck. you know because i know what's gonna happen but i'm gonna start chasing it and i'm gonna let my weight come up i'm gonna be like oh yeah i can eat this extra plate you know because i gotta i got a bench tomorrow or you know and it's just it's gotta set new goals. That's that's really the biggest
0: thing. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that's where so many people can get messed up with with trying to get to a particular point. It's like, oh, I want to drop. You know, I want to drop five, ten kilos. Like, well, what is it? Like, what what's the actual goal? Like, be be very specific yeah. because then we can get you to your actual goal.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Um. And lastly, minute, where can people reach out, find you, say hello?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, I'm double check. I think it's was it RP? Shoot. I shouldn't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the social media guy so much. All right. So RP underscore T-P-F-A-E-N-D-T. I probably should make a better one because that's, that's pretty much, but <laughs> um, yeah, Instagram. Um, I don't know if you can still find me on Facebook messenger. Otherwise my email is Trevor at Renaissance periodization.com. Um, you know, always happy to, to answer questions when I can, um, you know, Definitely, still very passionate about fitness and powerlifting, and you know anything I can do to help people. Uh, yeah, so you know, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to be people's coach, and you know, still have slots available. Or whatever,
0: you know. <laughs> reach out, in the space, then, Trent. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Rob,
1: man. Thanks again for having me.